0: If you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 19, Genesis chapter 19. Um, We're going to look at chapters 18 and 19 today, but we're only going to read here at the beginning uh, from chapter 19, verses 23 through 29, Genesis 19, 23 through 29. Just bear in mind, as we continue through Genesis, if you uh, we, we we will oftentimes be taking on pretty big chunks, a couple of chapters, and um, so I, I would encourage you, if you can, over the weekend, uh, each week, read the text, that way you've got some familiarity with it as it comes in, but listen, if you didn't this week, that's okay, I think, I think I'll be able to catch you up, I, I hope and pray at least, but you may, hopefully will be led to go read uh, the text this afternoon, if you didn't already, maybe even again. Reading it twice would be wonderful. So uh, Genesis chapter 19, verses 23 through 29. If you're ready, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Begin verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him, she looked back. She became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we pray that you would show to us and let us respond to the fact today that you are a God of judgment and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are some, and you've met them, and you've probably even heard them preach who want to present God as an always gloomy God. And I've counseled folks and spent time with folks who just can't seem to shake the idea. It's how they grew up. It's what they were taught about God. That They just can't seem to shake the idea that God is always angry, that God is always looking for us to mess up, that God is always seeking to be vengeful. They can't shake the idea out of their heart that God is against them. There are those who present God always at Sinai, always covered in gloom, always with laws, always displeased with everyone. And yet there are also those who present God as a fun uncle in the sky. As Michael Scott said, nobody ever rebelled against a fun uncle. And so there are people who treat God all the time like he's just the big man upstairs always pleased, no matter what we do. He's indifferent to sin. They they, they preach constantly what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And yet, Scripture presents a different picture. Scripture presents a different picture from those who are so frustrated with the fun uncle camp that they always want to present God purely as a God of wrath. And, And then there are The Bible paints a different picture than those who are in the fun uncle camp who are so frustrated with those who present God always as stern and sour and impossible to approach. And so they go so far the other direction. The Bible points us in another direction. The Bible shows us that the God who has revealed Himself in the pages of Scripture is a God of judgment and mercy. Both are true of the Lord. Grace is not grace. Mercy is not mercy unless we see it against the backdrop of God's wrath. And indeed, God is angry with sin. I I would be remiss. You should fire me if I stood here and told you that God was okay with sin. I really mean that with all my heart. If that's ever the case, you should have an emergency deacons meeting afterward. Take care of business. Vote next week. I don't know if that's what the Constitution says. Whatever it takes. Jim, fire me if okay. <laughs> I have not read that part of the Constitution very much. How to fire the pastor, I. I skip over it. Judgment and mercy here in this passage are juxtaposed in staggering relief. See, the sweet winds of God's grace and the literal fiery judgment of God's wrath on the pages of this text. And you can't understand one without the other can't understand one without the other. God hates sin. God loves you enough to save you out of it. and He does it himself by his grace and for his glory. I want to show you this morning the way that these two realities should impact you as the people of God. Just just These two truths, that God is a just God and God is a merciful God, this this story that reflects these realities about who God is ought to shape us as a people. As Moses wrote this text, the Bible tells us not only was he trying to shape God's people in the Old Testament, but he's also trying to shape believers today. They weren't written just for the original hearers, the Bible tells us, but for us, on whom the end of the ages has come. I want to show you the way these two realities should impact you this morning. The way we should be shaped by these truths. I'm going to show you three truths today from this text that I believe are going to help you better reflect our just and compassionate God. Three truths I think will help you better reflect in your own personal life and all of us as a church, we will better reflect our just and merciful God. If we take these truths to heart. Here's the first this morning. First point. God's grace should make us gracious. God's grace should make us gracious. And the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Chapter 18, verse 1 the Lord appears to Abraham in what really for many of us is a strange scene. And for some that I've talked to over the years about this passage, it's troubling. There are things going on here that are mysteries to us. For one, the Lord appeared to Abraham, right? The the, the Lord appeared to Abraham. This is what Theologians call a theophany. This is a visible manifestation of God. And yet Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. The Lord appeared to him, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord. And you'll notice there's a contrast between this and the way Lot later receives these two men when he calls them sirs or, or gentlemen. Abraham sees immediately that the Lord has come, and yet the Bible says when he sees with his eyes, he sees three men. And then as this passage progresses, you see Abraham has a conversation, the Bible says, with the Lord. Later, two of these men are clearly called angels or messengers. And so it appears as if one of these men who has appeared here to Abraham is a visible manifestation of God, of the Lord, of Yahweh, as Abraham calls him. This episode serves as a reminder of God's promises to Abraham. And here the Lord comes to Abraham after, after he has circumcised all of his household. Moses tells us the Lord then uh, soon after appears to Abraham and begins to speak to him. And he reminds him of his own promises. And here the Lord makes clear that Abraham and Sarah will have a son named Isaac. And Sarah understandably starts to laugh. Years and years ago, dear brother my first church, who is now with the Lord, uh, came up to me one Sunday. And he said, uh, Brother Matt, uh, I want to let you know something. Several years ago, we had a new preacher. And uh, he preached one Sunday on adultery. Now I want you to know, this brother was not a young man. He was similar in age to Father Abraham. And um, there was another lady in the church named Miss Martha. And she was similar in age to Sarah. And this dear brother came to me after church and he said, that preacher preached on adultery and he kept staring at me the whole time. He just wouldn't take his eyes off of me. And I just knew he thought that there was something going on between me and my dear friend, Miss Martha. Hey, I think y'all understand the kind of relationship that had developed there. This brother had a minivan. He'd go pick her up in a the minivan. They'd go eat at the Golden Corral or something, go back home, and they were just dear friends. He said, Pastor Matt, I just want to make sure you know there's nothing going on between me and Miss Martha. And I didn't say what I thought, which was, Brother, um, if there's something going on with you, Miss Martha, that's not church discipline. That's a miracle. I'm not getting up in between what the Lord's doing, you know. I, <laughs> that's not for me to deal with. You understand the situation why Martha, I mean, not Martha, Sarah. <laughs> sweet Martha. Sarah was laughing when she heard this. This exact same reason you're laughing. It's the exact same reason why you're laughing right now. Is why Sarah was laughing. We know how these things work. It's, it's a miracle if this happens, and it's funny to us. It's funny to us. Some of y'all get tired just watching those kids run to children's church every Sunday. You just, you just get tired watching it happen. You know? It's, I can't have a child. I can have a little baby. And yet this is the business the Lord is in. He gives him a son and tells him what to name him, name him Laughter. From there, in verses 16 through 21, the Lord begins to reveal to Abraham what he plans to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord says that a great outcry of evil has come to him from there and he plans to go down and see if that's true. Now this is another thing that troubles us as Christians. and in, in our faith tradition we have a very high view of the sovereignty of God. We believe that God knows all things and that nothing comes to pass. that doesn't come to pass according to at some level. We may differ on a thing or two here, but at some level we believe these things come to pass by and through the will of God. Why would God say, I need to go down and see this if he doesn't know it already? Well, I think that God is helping Abraham understand what he's about to do. He wants to make sure, Abraham doesn't have a whole Bible like we have a whole Bible, right? And he wants to make sure, I think, that it's really clear to Abraham that when he sees, when Abraham goes and walks out there and he sees the carnage in the valley, he wants to make sure that Abraham knows that he has made sure that he has done his homework, that things are really as bad as he says they are. This is a way God is being gracious to Abraham and and pulling back the curtain a little and showing him, I promise you I won't do this if things aren't as bad as they seem like they are. He wants to make sure that Abraham knows that God is acting and doing good. Abraham then begins to advocate. But it's something interesting that happens. Look at verses 22 through 26. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you. Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. And listen to this. I think this is the key phrase. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham is reminding God of God's own character. And as you probably know, the story goes, Abraham continually sort of says, what about for 45? What about 30, 20, 10? Would you not spare it? Do you see what Abraham... Is doing do you see the way this passage is unfolding? Abraham is being reminded, even though he doesn't deserve it, that God has been gracious to him. Abraham and Sarah both, multiple times have have fallen short of God's calling, wouldn't you agree? They, they've, they've tried to take matters into their own hands. They've tried to help the Lord out. Abraham has, has sinned in different ways, and yet God is still keeping His promises to Abraham, and He's come to him and revealed Himself to him and reminded him that within a year, he'll have a son, a son that they'll name Isaac. And After Abraham was reminded of God's grace to him, he wanted to make sure that others received grace as well. I find it interesting that though Abraham is saying to God, Oh God, won't you spare the righteous? He doesn't just stop. He doesn't say, won't you rescue the righteous before your judgment? He says, won't you spare the city on behalf of the righteous? He's revealing a gracious heart. And sometimes I wonder if some of us, When God told us what he was about to do. I'm about to bring my wrath here. I'm about to punish this person. Or I'm about to do this or do that. Sometimes I wonder if some of us might say, Finally! Finally! God, I've been praying for years that you'd do something about those people. God, God, I've been praying for years that you would wipe out that kind of person. Finally! some of us might say, God's going to finally do what I've been wanting Him to do. Sometimes I think, as good Christian people, good Baptist people on top of that, sometimes I fear that we think we deserve more mercy than others. Sometimes I I think that we've cozied up to the idea of mercy so much that we forget it's mercy. That we think it's something we've earned. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for so long that the one thing I fear for you is that you have forgotten how radical grace truly is. But shouldn't our attitude be that because God has given us such grace that we are gracious as well? Christian, God's grace must make you gracious it must lead you to have love and care for those who you don't like who don't you don't think deserve your love who you don't think deserve grace because you must remember that when we start to think that the only people who get grace are people who deserve grace it ceases to be grace second of all we've got to take sin seriously take sin seriously. God's grace should make us gracious, but second of all, we have to take sin seriously. We begin to see this episode change from these men speaking to Abraham to to these men going and speaking to Sodom. And they get there, I mean to Lot in Sodom. And they get there to Sodom in chapter 19. They come to him in the evening, Lot sitting in the gate He rises to meet them. He's kind to them. He insists that he be able to show them hospitality, much like Abraham did. So they have a feast and they eat. And before it's time to go to bed, something strange begins to happen. The Bible says that the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. As we start to see this picture of the sinfulness of Sodom. And as we begin to move through this text, we start to learn about how seriously God takes sin, and we ought to take sin seriously also. Moses is going to great lengths to show you what God showed Abraham, which is that he was going down to see if this outcry was so necessary. God, Moses wants to make sure as he writes this, that you see the severity of the sin before you see the severity of the punishment. And I think we see in this text some lessons about sin. One, sin spreads. Sin spreads. We're thinking a lot about viruses right now and things being contagious. And I want you to know sin is contagious. These men are are surrounding the house and they want to do things that are impolite to talk about in church to these men. They want to drag them out and mistreat them in severe and twisted ways. And yet you see the way that sin has seeped into even Lot's heart when Lot says don't do that to these men instead got two daughters here. let me let me give you these daughters. I think this is a picture of the way that Lot has degraded in his time in the valley, in his time in Sodom. the way while Lot's been in Sodom, I think Sodom is starting to kind of get inside Lot's heart. Sin has spread. And then, as this passage progresses, Lot doesn't even get the total picture. They, they begin to tell him, we're going to destroy this place, and this is what you need to do. You need to go, you need to go tell your uh, son's-in-law, and they think he's joking. And then they say, you need to hurry. And then the next morning, Lot gets up, and it's time to leave. And they have to rush him out, and he lingers again. And they have to actually carry him out of the city. Sin spreads. And the more comfortable we get around sin, the more likely we are. Commit it. Be careful. Be careful with the way that you can see sin spreading into your own heart in so many ways. But another thing we learn about sin here is that sin blinds. Sinfulness blinds us. Lot's family, as I mentioned, thinks he's joking when he warns them because this is how things have always been and always will be. There is no judgment coming. And then again, Lot, you'll, you'll remember Lot lingers when he should be fleeing. And then even when they do obey and they're headed to Zoar to be kept safe, what happens? Lot's wife disobeys. They say, don't linger in the plane. Hurry and get where you're going. Don't wait behind. Don't turn around. So often I think that we think that Lot's wife turned around. Just They're walking together. She turns and looks, and God zaps her into a pillar of salt. But no, I I don't think that's exactly what's happening. I think the the better way to make sense of the text is that Lot's wife was lingering behind. She was behind him. In other words, her heart was still back in Sodom. And she turns to look to see what's happening, Not, not out of some sort of morbid curiosity necessarily, but I think it makes better sense in the flow of the text and the way that they were warned that she stayed back too long and was caught up in the fire and destruction of Sodom. She became a pillar of salt through the destruction that came on the place. She's doing the opposite of what they're told. And so she too was swept up in the wrath of the city, along with other members of Lot's family. Why? Because sin blinds. Your sin... Will blind you. It will numb you. It will dull you to the realities of who God is and what God has done. Be careful. Be careful. You need the scriptures to open your heart to see your own sinfulness. I think the last lesson we learned here about sin and what sin is is that sin is an affront to God, God hates sin. If you see nothing else, when you see fire and brimstone raining from the sky in this passage, if nothing else, let it be a reminder every time you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, let it be a reminder that God hates sin. Sin is an affront to God. And every time you think about the wrath of God in the pages of the Bible, I want you to ask the Lord to give you a hatred for your own sin. It's similar to the hatred that He has for sin. We're so worried about hating everybody else's sins. I want us to get angry at our own sin. Be reminded today, my friends, of the judgment of God. God hates sin, and this is a picture, a gracious picture, of the wrath that is to come in the future for sin if we do not turn from it, if we do not turn to God in grace through faith. And that leads us to our last point this morning. And it's this, I want you to marvel at the mercy of God. I want you to marvel at the mercy of God. When we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, we think about judgment. And yet, I want you to see the way that God is glorified in this passage by in just stark relief, in just this beautiful juxtaposition with a backdrop of fire raining down on sin. I want you to see the sweetness of God's mercy and marvel at it in the midst of this. Do you see it? Chapter 19, verses 15 and 16. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife, and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. Lot did. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And listen to how this story closes. And Abraham, verse 27, went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. As I mentioned earlier, I think sometimes we can get so accustomed to mercy and grace that we think it's something we deserve. And then there's another side of us then that we get so used to grace and grace becomes so commonplace to us that we think it's just all that anyone ever receives from God. And yet, then we look at a passage like this and it bothers us to our core. We wince and we cringe and we think to ourselves, I wonder how God could do that. I understand that. I want you to feel the severity of this. I I, I want you to feel how, how miserable this thought of God's hatred of sin is and how miserable of a thought God's wrath is in so many ways. But I want you, as you see that, as you smell the sulfur in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah, I want you to be reminded that the real miracle here is that God is merciful to anyone. Every single one of us deserves to be swept up like Sodom and Gomorrah. I think you could even argue that Lot deserved to be swept up. But God spared him, the Bible says in verse 29, because he remembered Abraham and spared Lot on his behalf. As you come from Sodom and Gomorrah this morning, as you come out of this valley that's so near To where God is working in the life of Abraham. What I want you to do is marvel at the mercy of God. I want you to be amazed that God would be gracious to sinners. Be amazed that God would preserve Abraham and his family. That as this good news that a seed is coming, named Isaac, within a year, as this good news is coming to Abraham, and then with that news in his heart and the promises of God that he trusts by faith, as he stands and looks out over this valley, seeing the severity and the justice of God, I want you to feel what he probably felt, which is, Oh God, how and why? Would you be merciful to me, a sinner? Because God was bringing that Isaac into the world in order that he might bring Jacob into the world. In order that he might bring Judah into the world. In order that decades and decades and centuries, centuries later, he might bring a little girl named Mary into the world. And from the womb of that Mary, He might bring Jesus of Nazareth into the world. The Son of God who bore the wrath that makes Sodom and Gomorrah shrink in comparison as Christ drank to the dregs, the cup of the wrath of God on your behalf, that which you deserved, that which I deserved, that which Abraham deserved, that which Lot deserved, that which all of us deserved. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God so that we might become sons of God through Him. So we might be brought into His Family, so that we might be grafted into the olive tree, so that we might be monuments, the Bible says, for eternity and eternity and eternity, for years and years and years, world without end, so that we might be monuments of the marvelous mercy of a loving God. God Himself sent His Son into the world to save you. A sinner, fully deserving, just like me, of the wrath of God. He himself took the punishment that we deserve. My brothers, my sisters, today my prayer is that you will be awestruck by the mercy and grace and love of the great God whom we call Father. Worship Him. His grace today. I hope and pray you'll respond to the Lord. Some of you may not be believers and you may be petrified as you've realized today by the quickening of the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. My hope and my prayer today is that by faith and by God's grace today you'll no longer be fearful as one who lives in Sodom but that you'll be hopeful and feel the love of God as one who has joined his family second of all you may be a believer and you may say pastor I just need some time to reflect on these things you take a few moments to reflect and draw nearer to the Lord today and finally you may be looking for a church home I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church you take this time now to reflect and if you need to talk to me you catch me when the service is over Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the opportunity we have today to know you not only as a God who is the judge of the world, but Lord, we have the privilege of knowing you as the God who is our Father through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we will be reminded of that today or that there might be some who join your family for the first time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.